Well, well, well. You just never know who you're going to meet in the 2NURFM hallways. Hello, Cheryl Shaw, Paul McCarthy. Welcome to both of you. Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here today. Thank you, Sarah. Now, Cheryl, I have to say you are on point with the jewellery today. Now, you're wearing a little house brooch. Yes, and you've got the bees on. I can only assume that's for World Bee Day. That's right, Sarah. You're oh. on it too. Mm. And we must be talking about something to do with dogs at home or moving. Or... Moving house. Aha. Uh-huh. A stressful time for everyone. Oh, yes, it is. It's up there with the top three things, isn't it, <laughs> to make you stressed out? <laughs> we'll be looking at that in just a couple of minutes. Paul, what will we be looking at a little bit later today, if time permits? Uh, I thought we were talking about eyes today. Eyes? Yeah, we've had a lot of eye co- um, cases coming through this week, and often people get very nervous about eye disease. So I thought uh-huh. we'd sort of run through some of the signs to look for and, and what's um, good and what's bad. Can animals get conjunctivitis? They certainly can. Okay. There you go. Well, I've learnt something today, so I'll back up and go home. We'll talk about that. And, of course, next, moving, a very stressful time. Not only is it stressful for us, but for our pets as well, and I guess our anxiety can then feed them. Oh, absolutely, Sarah. The calls have come through. We appreciate the early ones. It means we can get to you. Uh, Pam in Cessnock, you've given us a call. What's your question for Dr Paul? Yes. Hi, Paul. I've got a Japanese chin. And after about the last six months or so, it keeps trying to um, rub his back on whatever he can reach. And I actually was one of the last callers last week because I was waiting for the groomer and he was up on my lap because he takes the meaning of lap dog to the extreme. And I found a very hard lump just above his tail. And I thought, oh dear, what's this? And when the groomer, I showed her and everything, and she said it was like a pile of dandruff. Oh. Okay. So um, did it lift away then when the groomer examined it? Yes. So, um, so the lump's no longer there. The lump's no longer there, but um, it, she, I did get it a cut because, of, of course, you'd know he's got really thick hair. Mm. And um, I got it to kind of, because it, it's right, you know how their tail naturally, when they're happy and whatnot, it curls right over. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's right at the base there where the tail curls. And how often do you give him a wash? He gets groomed every six weeks. Yep. And has the no, has the owner no, uh, sorry has the groomer noticed these dry patches in the past? Or, uh, you said no. you said it's been happening for six months. So mm. the the rubbing's been happening for six months, but the the actual dry patch is new. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So certainly, what, we, what we're talking about sounds like seborrhea, which is an overproduction of scurf on the coat. Now that can be due to friction. So the, one of the causes could be, but we need to work out what's the underlying itch that's causing him to rub those areas. 
Now, as we've spoken of on the program, allergies are one of the most common causes for dogs to rub themselves. But in circumstances like this, if we're particularly over that area near the base of a tail, often anal gland impaction can cause dogs to rub that area. Um, there are two little glands that sit just inside the rectum, um, and those glands can become very full, and the dogs will try and rub around the base of their tail, trying to encourage those glands to empty. So certainly you could have a talk to your local veterinarian about um, having those examined and, and seeing if they do need to be expressed. Um, other things to, to talk to your, your groomer about is that some shampoos, as Cheryl well knows, um, can be detrimental to some dog's coats. And it may be that your dog needs a much more gentle coat uh, shampoo or a coat that even maybe has some seborrheic properties. Um, there are shampoos that are designed for dogs who have high seborrhea numbers. Um, and those sorts of things can be helpful. But I think initially you want to know what the rubbing is caused by. And I think talking to your vet about allergies and possible anal gland issues would be your first step. Okay, Steve in Barnsley. Now, you want to have a chat about your dog's eyes. Uh, yeah. So how, what's, how can is we there help, a question? Steve? Well, generally, um, I've had dogs for a long time and the vet, I used to see, he said, you don't let them stick their head out the window mm-hmm. because they can't blink as fast as we can. So they might get a bug in their eye. Uh, no, they, they can blink as fast as us. So, so the, the, the main reason we don't try and encourage dogs to stick their heads out the window is about the wind. Um, and it's more about the fact that it's not about the blinking from bugs. It's about the fact that the air pressure and the, the speed of the wind um, drives the surface of the cornea out. And therefore, you're more likely to have irritation from dry eyes rather than you're not able to protect yourself from from passing bugs. So um, the second thing about that too is is that uh, it it can create in dogs a high level of excitement. Um, and that excitement then is like, you know, when you give kids lots and lots of lollies, um, it's about trying to wind those dogs back in when you open the car door. These dogs are really revved up from having that experience as well. But okay. I think the most important thing is that now with most regulations for how dogs are harnessed into vehicles, there would be no ability for dogs to have their head out the window if they're following the local um, our state requirements for how dogs are transported in cars. Okay, thank you very much for the call, Steve. 49216216 is our number. It's Pet Chat. Now, Cheryl, property market, it is hot, hot, hot at the moment, um, nationwide, particularly in Newcastle as well. A lot of people are moving. But when we have pets, that adds a whole other layer to problems or things to consider. It certainly does, Sarah. And you're right. People are moving. People are downsizing, um, going to, to new environments. But when you are moving, one of the things you've got to remember with your pets, they don't know this new environment they're going to. So if you're lucky and you're moving locally, when you buy that house or, or property that you're going to go to, start taking your dogs even before you move to there. Start getting them familiar with the area so that they can go for walks around the block, start to smell and and hear the sounds and and the sights that are around there. That will be the first part of it. But also when we are moving from our house, things are really very, very stressful. We start packing up, we're changing the environment. Dogs in particular, as well as cats, can both become really stressed at the changes. So it's really important that we don't change their routines too much before we are moving. So we need to keep things like meals, 
at the same time. If you're normally going for walks at the same time of the day, still continue that, both at your the, the old home and when you move to the new home. That's really critical. And they're very perceptive. So the moment we start making these changes or start packing, they pick up on that. Oh, so absolutely. I guess another reason why to keep as much as you can the same, the yep. same. Yeah. Because just moving the furniture is enough to make some animals really distressed. And Paul, cats in particular, when you move things around, suddenly start to develop behavioural problems, often with urination. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, and I often encourage clients who have anxieties in their pets, this is a good time to perhaps board those animals. Yes. In that often the actual movement of furniture around the house for dogs, cats, for lots of species, birds as well, is really distressing. The second thing is that when people are moving, they're highly anxious, as you spoke before. Um, And because animals are watching our body language, then they're they're reading that stress. Mm. And so it it then makes the actual house less safe. Um, Everything's where it shouldn't be. Um, The owners are showing anxiety. Um, Bad things are coming. So you want the the introduction to a new house to be something that's, that's done very uh, carefully and gently and even that preamble that you've mentioned about getting things ready can be highly stressful so often uh, boarding an animal at that time period yes. is a really good idea taking them to somewhere yeah. to board yeah while whether it be you a friend that. or yeah, a boarding okay. facility yeah. Yeah. often that they're getting uh, particularly some of them have been before yes. and they recognise that area it just means they're not seeing all the crazy yeah sure having moved myself I know um, <laughs> Tret and I probably had more fights moving than we have at any time in our lives and I think that's probably lots of the same for lots of couples yeah. yes. and I think seeing that witness by that your pets can be quite a distressing thing for them. And yeah, the other sure. thing is too, when you are at home, if you if you don't have that uh, uh, you know available to you, make sure you're using um, pheromones to try to keep that um, you know level of, of anxiety down for your pets. So there's fell away for the cats and um, and also adaptable for dogs, and those things can really aid. When you go to your new house, particularly for a cat, make sure you're locking it up in one room. Don't give it rain of the house because it's going to really become more stressed. Everything's going to be new. And the problem is often when people move to new environments, they buy all new things. We want to keep the things that are your pet's still the same until they've settled into their new environment so don't go buying a new bed for your dog keep the old bed we need those familiar smells those things that they're used to Um, again when the removalists come in if you haven't taken your dog or cat somewhere please try to make sure that they are restrained somewhere because put your cat into a you know into a kitty box that you can um, lock it away and make sure that your pet dog is safe somewhere because removalists open doors and gates and things and can be a dangerous time can't it for our very pets? dangerous and they get freaked out and then they run and then we've got a lost pet that may not come yeah. back straight away and you've moved and then there's all of those problems so when you know you're moving get a second tag on your dog's collar just in case that your dog does get out someone will know that you can um, contact a number and a great way to do that a temporary measure is to use the little um, tags that you put on your keys to identify your keys you can put on you know i'm moving this is the new address or a contact number okay because pets do get displaced when people are moving that's a great idea and their behaviors change so you might go oh look my dog's not a runner or you know my cat stays close well we can't guarantee that when they're feeling distressed exactly the other thing when you get to the new home make sure that in the first few days you don't go anywhere stay with the pet or if you're going somewhere take the pet with you because they are going to be really freaked out in that new environment nothing is familiar to them so it's 
it's really important to, you know, sort of be there. Take them for lots of walks and over night time, give them cuddles on the lounge, but try not to overdo things because pets are so clever at picking up our own anxieties and emotions. So it's really important that we're there to support them as well through this move. It's quite a difficult time, very challenging most definitely. Well, some really awesome advice there, Cheryl. And I guess taking these steps in the first place and taking a little bit extra time, you know, to take them to the new house for some visits, yes. that will save a lot of potential drama and time in the yeah. future. And we've got to understand that everything is new for them mm. and it's very challenging. And we can't just say to them, we're moving, we're going to stay together, it's all okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> it's pet chat. Now, Paul, you wanted to have a chat today about dogs and eyes and potential issues that they can get with their eyes. Yeah, sure, sure. Before we leap into that, I'll just give a reminder to people, if you are moving home... Oh, yes, we were we, going to do that. Just make sure your microchip details are up to date. So quite commonly, we get dogs put into work um, that have been found as a stray right. or lost, and the details on their microchip when we go to the computers and look those up aren't the updated ones, and so... Uh, if your mobile's updated, it's great because we can still catch you by the mobile. But uh, as Cheryl was saying, with the a new address coming and putting it onto the, the the tag, really ensure that the microchip details are filled up. And you can do it online now. So you can go to www.petregistry.com.au. Oh, fantastic. And you can actually yep. do that yourself. Because you I wasn't sure require... if that was through the council. No, or... so that, that regulation's now been lifted. So you can change that online. And you can do that prior to even moving so it's already set up in place not even just check and so you do that gizmos i think it's right but it's just probably good to check yeah. in case yeah you, know, you change just, your phone yeah. number for example um and as cheryl mentioned interstate there are regulations about moving dogs interstate just to ensure that you're following those particularly for example if you're moving to tasmania they require you to have certain worming provided before you arrive so that okay. um, they don't have any data they don't have any high data tape worm in tasmania so you've got to make sure you had a tape worming medication provided by your vet and signed off on before you I'm go. I'm guessing a lot of people wouldn't have even been aware of that. So Yeah, so know, there are regulations point. about that. And currently even there's some, um, because of the having to register yourself as you move across borders due to COVID, there may be some regulations about moving dogs as well, which has um, not been discussed but coming through. Paul, is there a website that people can go to to check the regulations if they're, if they're moving? Yes, in- look, look at the state regulations for each state. Yeah, so if okay. you type in moving dogs to Tasmania, it'll come up. Okay. Um, and um, someone asked me about the other about New Zealand. Um, there are regulations about moving to New Zealand as well. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, some good stuff and stuff to be aware of uh, if you are thinking of moving. Or, yeah, because yeah. in the whole flux of moving your house and packing up and things, it's often those little tiny things you forget. Yeah. Um, and it's not until your dog goes missing and we can't find you that you realise that those details aren't up to date. Yeah. And another thing on that, a lot of people are actually travelling, you know, the grey nomads with their pets and going interstate. So that's another thing that they need to be aware of um, when they're moving. So their dogs are often, you know, their companions in their motorhomes. Yes. So it is important to make sure that you are, you know, doing everything. And so, Cheryl, if if they are travelling and going from state to state, even if you're staying in the camper van and for a short period of time, obviously you still need to make sure if there's extra worming that needs to happen. Correct. Just check your state's regulations. Yes. Up to date. Okay. Now, Paul, we're looking at eyes in our pets. Yeah. So, look, we, we only have two. So they're very important to look after. Um, and people often get very worried, um, sometimes necessarily and sometimes unnecessarily, about signs your dog can show. 
Now, particularly with the lovely big-eyed breeds we now see, the Labradoodles, the Cavoodles, the French Bulldogs, the Pugs, those eyes are anatomically different to what they would have been in the wild. So these are eyes that have less natural defences. And so things like watering of an eye, particularly in those breed types, you need to make sure that that's the body's defences to having an overly large orbit, so an overly large cornea, keeping it moist. So a wet... Uh, discharge underneath the eyes can be very natural for lots of breeds of dog. Right. So people often get panicking about that, but often it's the fact that the eyelids, the eyes are now so large and the eyelids are smaller that there's a larger surface area to cover with tears, and so you need to try and make sure that that's a normal discharge versus an abnormal discharge. And Paul, on white dogs, it, it goes that, that uh, brown colour. Correct, and that's very normal. Okay, that's the tear ducts that are draining down the front of the cheek. Um, and so lots of dogs will have that. Now, you can tidy that, yes. um, as Cheryl would often be well aware of and, and would do so at her grooming salon. There are products that are safe to use and there are products that are less safe to use. So um, certainly just, again, check with your groomer or, or check with your vet about the product you're using to remove that stain. And remembering that for some dogs, particularly with those folds around their cheeks and their nose, you've got to get those tear drainage tracks dry as well. So uh, boxes, pugs, sharpays, where you get that normal tear film coming down the nose, it can actually cause there to be um, dermatitis from those natural tears as well. Okay. So um, discharge where there is uh, what we call tenacity, so it's sticky. So sticky discharge, discoloured discharge, and an eye that has discharge and increased blinking or squinting that's a sign of that there's a problem with that eye. Right. And so that's when you need to have your, your vet check those. So watery eyes can also be a sign of disease, but check with your vet first. Sticky discharge is rarely normal and therefore should be investigated. The most common for most dogs who have those sorts of discharges is that they've bumped their eye and there's a corneal ulcer on the surface. Now, corneal ulcers generally are very easy to repair with the right medications, but they do require investigation to make sure that they are um, present and, if so, treated appropriately. Okay, and uh, pets can get conjunctivitis as well. Correct. So allergic conjunctivitis is the most common. So we, we see that seasonally. So say change of season. Correct. That's right. Same as hay fever for people. Dogs can have the same. Again, very common in dogs that have higher levels of ang- of um allergies anyway so we're talking about often the poodles um border collies are very prone to get allergic conjunctivitis um maltese terriers and staffies are also very prone to allergic conjunctivitis and what you'll see in those guys is not only the watering and the discharge the reds of the the whites of the eyes will go red you'll you'll notice it very obviously the conjunctiva become red and inflamed and generally those dogs will try and rub their face or rub their eyes. Now we're going to go back to the phones, 49216216, and we've got a bit of an issue with some eggs being stolen from chickens. Hello? Hello, Harry, how are you going? We're well. Now what's going on here? I've got a Roddy and I've got a free-range chicken, and the Roddy has learned to go into the chicken cube and steal eggs, mm-hmm. help herself. And leave the shell all over the yard. <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
Yum. Um, there, there's no magic cure for this one, I'm afraid. This is about keeping your Rottweiler away from those <laughs> eggs. So um, certainly um, eggs are high protein and they have a very strong smell. So they're particularly attractive to dogs. Um, and once they've learnt to be able to get access and know where they're coming from, that repeated behaviour is self-rewarded. They find the egg, they enjoy the taste, they go back again. Um, so a, a, not an uncommon scenario, Marcella, and one that we see very regularly, and it really is about limiting access to those um, chicken coops um, so that we don't get those eggs stolen. There's nothing dangerous about those eggs being eaten by the Rottweiler, even if a shell is ingested. Um, there's no risk of there being disease associated with those. Um, it's just about the fact that obviously there's less eggs for you. <laughs> That's right. The other shepherd doesn't do it, and he just looks at her. And she's so sneaky. She goes under the bushes. <laughs> How many can she do in a day? Like two or three. Oh, yeah. wow. Lots of good it's protein. <laughs> when you're not looking, that's when she does it. <laughs> so I have had some clients, Vasella, who have just raised their coops so that they're, they're higher than their dog's noses. Um, that can make a difference. Or there are some of these bizarre coops where they, they sort of the egg rolls into a covered tray. Um, oh. And so... Um, the, the dogs can't get access to those trays because the egg goes down this sort of little chute to a, a wooden section. You can Google those. There are sort of um, dog-proof coops, I think they may, they may be listed as. But um, there are ways around that. But I guess obviously the big thing is there's not a big worry for the Rottweiler. He's obviously enjoying it and there's no danger there. And the chickens are safe. It's just the eggs. Chickens are safe, yep. just the eggs. Yeah. She eyeballs the chicken and goes, oh. Gonna pop now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Clever dog, I say. Yeah. Um, now let's go to Sam. Uh, Sam, hello. You're in New Lambton. You've got a two and a half year old Saint Bernard who is blind, and you're just wondering uh, for some treatments or some suggestions. Yes, that's kind of, obviously. Um, you're just breaking up on a Sam. Hello. Sorry, you just. Yep, go on. We just don't have good reception. Are we on hands-free here? Because you keep breaking up. How's this? Is this better? Ah, uh, much better. Now we can hear you, Sam. Uh, okay, so I have... Um, so, yeah, so he... I've really noticed lately that he's, he seems to not really be, be able to see at all, which is a concern. He, he has one slightly cloudy eye, but you can really only see that in, in really, like, in really strong light, you know, that you can see it's a little... It's not like it's cataracts, you know. And I just wondered if, if there's an eye, if, if it's do eye surgery or if there's something that might be able to be followed up with this. Because yeah, he just bumps into things all the time. <laughs> yeah, has, has your vet um, examined the eye to determine the diagnosis for the lack of vision? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm going, we, we sort of. I, I was just driving along and listening, and I thought I should oh, ask okay. about that. Yeah, no. so I, I, I sort of think step one in a young dog like in a young dog like that, um, mm-hmm. there there are only a few things that would be likely to cause lack of vision. Um, now, some of them are quite reversible. Um, some of them sadly will progress and may be a symptom of an, of, of other more um, advanced diseases. So if you're seeing any change in vision in a large breed giant dog like St. Bernard's, um, you'd want to get those investigated in that there there can be links, sadly, to some other more serious diseases. Not that being blind isn't serious, but um, there there can be links to other more generalised conditions that could be causing those changes. So step one would be... um, 
A, to diagnose that there is a lack of vision in that um, if it's superficial, so if what you're seeing is uh, corneal clouding, it could be that there is what we call dry eye syndrome. So dogs can develop uh, a lack of tears and that can make a sort of clouded sheen over the surface of the eye, making it difficult for the eyes to work. Or it could be more severe that there is retinal disease where the, the light's getting in, but there's no actual change um, the brain can't turn that into um, recognised information, what we would call sight. So right. there can be ret- retinal causes for blindness, there can be lens causes for blindness, and there can be corneal surface uh, changes to cause blindness. The big thing, obviously, is to ensure that what we've got is the situation that there is a diagnosis made and then yeah. treatment accordingly. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. No problems. Good luck with that. Thanks for the call, Sam. 49216216. While we're talking about eyes, what are cataracts? Yeah, okay. So um, your lens is a, a, a lots of layers and layers of cells. Now, what happens with cataracts is that those cells become diseased and so the lens becomes like a crystal within there. Now, the lack of parallel cells means that light can't transfer through them. Mm-hmm. So this this sort of um, very uh, bendy, malleable, squeezy um, lens becomes a hardened crystal-like structure. And so their problem with cataracts isn't just the fact that you can't see through them, but their damage causes leakage of protein from that lens, and then you get a disease called uveitis, where the protein that should be contained in the lens is leaking, and the eyes become sore due to those leaking cataracts. So, Paul, humans can have cataracts removed, animals can as well? That's right, yes. So there are several ways you can deal with cataracts, and, and there are lots of options for treatment for both dogs as there are in people. So, Paul, some signs that your pet or dog may have a cataract. Yeah, so the first thing commonly the clients see is that when they look into their dog's eyes, they see a cloudy bubble where the pupil should be. Right, a bubble. So it looks like they're looking into there and they see this sort of white structure. Yes. So there are two possible causes for that white structure. One is a very normal ageing syndrome called nucleosclerosis, which is neither painful nor disease-related. It's just age. And it looks like smoke in a glass. Then there's the true cataract. Now, the cataract is uh, denser. Um, it won't allow light to go through it very well. And not only can it leak and cause um, uveitis, it gets heavy inside the eye. And the little um, zonules that hold the lens in place can let go. And that cataract can fall then to the oh. base of the eye. It can fall forward against your cornea, and that's intensely painful. Um, or it can block the little drainage duct that lets you flew out of your eye, and then you can develop a secondary glaucoma. So cataracts really need to be investigated well because there are options to manage it, and there are also options if you can't afford surgery to ensure you're not uh, missing those other knock-on causes that a cataract can so create. So poor glaucoma, does that always come as a secondary result from a cataract? No. So certain breeds of dog can have what's called a primary glaucoma, where there is disease to that drainage angle. Okay, so it, the eye is continually producing fluid to keep it as a soft ball. Now there's fluid being created, and therefore there's fluid that needs to exit. Now if that exit angle, what we call the drainage angle, becomes blocked or narrowed or there's disease in the, in the drainage, 
the fluid can't get out. And so glaucoma really means pressure inside the eye is building. Right. And so what commonly you'll see as a, as a person looking at a dog with glaucoma is that one eye bulges by comparison to the other eye. Okay, and that would be very painful Correct. as well. Correct. So you'll often have that, that's, that eye will become quite red and inflamed. The dog will try and blink over that eye. And then lastly what happens is that the surface becomes quite inflamed and it will go blue. So a blue surface to a dog's eye is often related to glaucoma. Okay. And so the problem with glaucoma is if you don't catch it quickly, so within a couple of days of diagnosis, oh. the dog can be blind from it. Well, and then that's not reversible? Correct. So glaucoma is one of these diseases that fast action is required. Jump on that as soon as you're suspicious of any changes. And that would be uh, the, the eye changing in size, possibly bulging, Correct. obviously the blue. Yep. Um, is there discharge? Generally not. Okay. So this is one of those diseases where you don't get an ocular discharge. It tends to be about the physical um, vision, uh, sorry, physical size of the eye. But if caught uh, very quickly, it can be... Correct. Re- you know, fixed. Absolutely. Okay. Isn't yeah, that and amazing? managed. Yeah, 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 okay. So, Paul, I'm guessing uh, in our older dogs, when we see the cloud, and sometimes it does look a little bit bluey, yes. is that likely to be the first scenario before the cataracts that you were discussing with the age? So, certainly what you'll generally see is the, the clouding um, won't be associated with any pain. So, yeah. there'll be no distension of the eye. There'll be no discharge from the eye, and it's age. So what's happening is that the dog's getting older as all the organs are changing, and this little smokiness appears. Right. Now, generally, dogs don't live long enough for that smokiness to ever cause changes in vision. Okay. They may have slightly reduced sight at night, perhaps, because not all the light's getting through to the retina, but it doesn't generally ever cause enough blockage that the light can't get through at some stage. So they, they still can see during Correct. the day, usually, just not as well? Correct. Mm, That's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to eyes. I know, isn't I, there? and because I like, as you know, like my eyes, I could talk all day about eyes. I'm sure we can come back and do it again at some point. But look, we are out of time. Uh, hard to believe, but it's been a very interesting pet chat today. And Cheryl, I very much enjoyed the moving talk as well. Oh. I know a lot of people going through that at the moment, and it is easy just to not think about. You know, the, the the pets, well, that's sort of the last thing because you've got everything else to organise. Yeah, we've got to look after them. They're important to us. We certainly do. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.